Hello, and welcome to Liturgy for Life as we continue to explore how it is to be the church in the world and how what we believe and say as Christians emphasizes and plays out in the real world. And so I'm really excited. We have a very special guest today, and I'm going to let Rachel Wright, our Director of Missions, introduce him. Thanks, Pastor Callie. Um, I'm grateful to be here today and to be able to introduce to all of you um, Mark Conan. He is a member of TUMC um, and an advocate for Zoe Empowers, one of our mission partnerships. Um, and so I'm really excited to be able to have a conversation with him today. Um, but first, I want to tell you a tiny bit about him. Um, he is a self-proclaimed numbers guy, but more than that, um, he <laughs> that comes from having been the president of the insurance and retirement business for Lincoln Financial, a job that he retired from about three and a half years ago and moved to Austin in that time with his um, lovely wife, Becky. He also has a nearly 30-year-old son. So we're excited that his retirement meant that he um, came to be a part of the Austin community. Uh, about three years ago, he went on the Zoe Empowers board and he that's a board that he now chairs. So we're excited to hear what he can share with us today about that ministry and our partnership there. Mark, would you be willing to just sort of uh, lay out the basic framework of the Zoe model for people who are less familiar with it? Sure, I'd be happy to, Rachel. And let me start by first saying that the target audience, if you will, or the target folks that we try to help are orphans and vulnerable children around the world. And it's a unique model that is more about empowerment versus relief. So think of it in the traditional, it's teach them to fish rather than give them a fish. We currently work in six African countries and India. And really the sort of the mantra of Zoe is to turn these children from beggars to bosses. <laughs> and get them within three years to a place where they never need charity again. And the way Zoe works is essentially we provide on-ramps, resources that then these kids can leverage to pull themselves up out of extreme poverty. Let me walk through the three-year program just, just for a little bit. So in year one, what happens? Well, first you unite the orphans into a peer group, which we call empowerment groups. It's usually 60 to 100 children that live in the same area within walking distance of each other so that they can, they can meet and gather. That's usually 20 to 30 heads of households and then siblings, cousins, whatever. And these heads of households could be an 18-year-old young man or a 15-year-old girl uh, who have, for whatever reason, uh, or they have found themselves in the unique situation of being the head of a household at a very young age. What these empowerment groups do is really become a community for these kids, and in, and in many cases, a family. The first thing they do is elect leaders. So there's a president, a secretary, a treasurer, et cetera, elected by the, the participants to become the head of the empowerment group. They have regular meetings and they work on group projects, usually some sort of business, which then begins their income generation. 
They set themselves goals, which they call dreams. Where do they want to be? And then um, we begin training them, usually around some really um, all important things like health and hygiene, like um, education and things like that. And then they start with a business plan to become, to make their own individual project. And that is the beginning. And that's essentially what happens in year one. In year two, all of that is ongoing. And then those individual businesses begin to expand. They're able to get micro loans, that money largely coming from the profits from their group project. Hmm. They loan themselves money through that project to expand their businesses. They do more vocational training to whatever that whatever they've decided they want to do. And that's sort of the, the what, but what begins to happen is the why and the mm -hmm. self-esteem these kids begin to have for themselves and to actually the confidence. You can just see it build within them so that by the time you get to year three, what has developed are some incredibly successful entrepreneurs able to expand, diversify, buy more businesses, bring in other employees, uh, and become really valued members of the community. And again, importantly, really their dignity is restored. So in three years, they've become from the lowest to the, of the low to respected members of the community, literally from beggars to bosses. Thank you, Mark. That was a really helpful explanation. Um, one of the things that strikes me about Zoe is that notion of community. You know, the kids meet regularly with each other. Um, can you say just a little bit more about how that sense of community might play out um, as they continue to um, increase their uh, strength and stamina? Um, and they're standing in the community, where, where do you see that helping raise up the whole community? Oh, it, it, it definitely does. And you see it, and there's a myriad of examples, but you see it within that a community of empowerment group, them lifting each other up, them supporting each other, really becoming the family that you know, everyone craves at, at some level. And so, but then they they actually broaden that into the community. And, and uh, let's take COVID, for example. Many of these groups are now helping to educate their community about what and how to, to practice safe social distancing, hand washing, uh, making masks for the community, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they really become pillars of the community rather than, um, frankly, people that are, were looked down upon as beggars and thieves, if you will. Yeah. yeah. I, um, it reminds me of the first, the very first Zoe business that I saw was a convenience store. And it was out in the middle of this like wide place in the road in Zimbabwe. And um, we walked inside and I was with a Zoe staff member and that person introduced me to the young woman behind the counter and there were sodas and there were um, snacks and there was a freshly slaughtered pig that you could come and 
buy pieces of um, and uh, all the modern conveniences. And um, there was also a television. I love this. They had decided that they did have other convenience stores in the area. And so one thing they were going to do was invest in a TV so that people would want to come and hang out and eat more snacks, which I thought was awesome. And it really tricked me initially because there were a bunch of teenage boys standing outside and I thought they were Zoe, part of the Zoe cohort. And so they were kind of, you know, acting like teenage boys. And I thought, well, you know, teenage boys all around the world are the same. They're at work, but they're kind of goofing around. And it was halfway through our time together that she said, oh, no, they're not um, part of the program. They're just my customers. And, um, you know, I, I put the TV on so they'll stay and they'll eat more. And I I just think there's um, so much opportunity to see the ingeniousness of these young people kind of flow out of them when they get just a little bit of help. Um, can you say more about what it costs uh, initially? Sure. So it's... Uh... It's really kind of incredible that that really for for eight dollars a month for three years, you can change uh, someone's life, as you're saying. And really, it is just that little bit of a catalyst that then they can leverage. And, you know, with a small micro grant, they begin a business and then they grow that business. And then that business becomes another business or a bigger business. And then and, and then they're all of a sudden they're loaning money to somebody else to start a business or they're bringing on another vulnerable child from the community to be their assistant. And it just expands from there. And the ingenuity of these kids, like you're saying, is, is pretty incredible to watch. It's one of the, as a business person, it's one of the most fun things to see is them to see the kernel of an idea, just like your example of, a, hey, you know what? If we got a TV, I bet you more people would hang around and buy more soda. Just that kind of, of ingenuity and basic train, basic business training uh, from Zoe, it, it just it multiplies 10,000 times. Absolutely. So I'm not a business person or a numbers person. I've shared with both of you um, before <laughs> that I uh, am a, a fiction writer by training. So um, I but I have been in uh global mission for almost 10 years for the United Methodist Church. So I get invited to see a lot of things and learn about a lot of different projects. And I was going to share with y'all how I got involved with Zoe. Um, I hate to admit it, but I was invited by someone who found out what I did. And she said, oh, my daughter is involved in missions with the Methodist Church too. She works for this project called Zoe. Uh, You should learn about it. And I was kind of like, ah, thanks, sure. Um, you know, and then the woman was persistent. She, her daughter had just moved to Texas. And so she connected us via email and said, Rachel would love to learn more about Zoe. <laughs> and the person said, well, great. I uh, really think you should hear it directly from our CEO, who also lives in Texas. And he emailed me and said, when can I come and talk to you? And I thought I had like the best excuse ever because I was like, well, I'm really busy right now because I'm getting ready to go on this trip to Zimbabwe with another 
project that I was involved with. And so I can't really talk about Zoe till I get back. And he said, well, where are you going in Zimbabwe? And I was like, oh my goodness, why are these people pursuing me? And um, I said, well, I think Zimbabwe is a big place and I'm not in charge of my time, but I'm going to be in this particular city. And he said, well, the hotel you're staying in is six blocks from the Zoe office. So would you just like to see it at work on the ground? And at that point, I felt a little bit like Jonah and the whale, you know, like I've now been swallowed by the fish and I'm just going to have to go with it. And so I said, yes. And the day that the Zoe staff person came to pick me up, having been to lots of global um, mission projects, I knew as soon as I got in the car and he started talking that I was seeing something unusual. Um, in part because of what we've been talking about, the focus on empowerment, entrepreneurship, a sense of dignity for the kids, a different kind of model. Um, and it was evident almost immediately for me. And so that sort of began my journey. I wonder, Mark, how did your journey with Zoe begin? So um, as you said, we, we, we came back to Austin. When I retired, we came to Austin about now three and a half years ago and began coming to Terrytown Methodist. And there was a thing in the bulletin or whatever that said there's an info meeting about this upcoming trip to Zimbabwe to see Zoe in action. I'd never heard of Zoe. And, you know, people joke that I should be from Missouri because it's really all about show me. Back to that, I'm a <laughs> numbers guy, I'm an analytical guy, and not easily, uh, I, I'm skeptical. So let's just put it that way. So I said, well, I want to hear some about this. So I went to the meeting because I have always had a passion for Africa. And Becky and I have had a passion for helping uh, underserved folks and so especially children. And so then I went and I heard about the meeting and, and talked about, you know, for eight, it's $8 a month. The staff to kid ratio is about one in 1,000. And, the, and, and it works. And I went, yeah, right. There's no way that that can work. So I said, well, I'm going to go see it. Rachel, let me come to Zimbabwe. I'm not sure I knew how skeptical you were. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you didn't. <laughs> um, and it was remarkable. It was life-changing, frankly. And I can, I can swear to you it does work. And, and I've thought a lot about this then and since, you know, what is the secret sauce? And it's, it's the model that I described. It certainly is the model. It's that empowerment model, uh, whether that's the training, whether that's that sense of community. It's definitely the kids leveraging of that little bit of a catalyst and taking off with it. It's really, it's about the self-worth, the knowing that someone cares. And I think it's about... I think it's about them realizing that that God loves them. Mm -hmm. I think I think that I've some of those kids are the most spiritual kids I've, or people I've ever met in my life, mm -hmm. and I don't think they were that before Zoe came around. Mm -hmm. So I went all in, uh, and I can tell you it's the most effective eight bucks a month. 
uh, you'll ever spend. To just think that in three years, you can take someone from basically nothing to, to uh, never needing charity again, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think of um, now how many times when I've heard a child tell their story, they say, I thought I was all alone in this situation. I thought I was the only one who was orphaned or left vulnerable and raising my siblings. Um, and, you know, the first kind of great good gift that Zoe offers is the opportunity to realize you're not alone. Um, and that seems to me like God at work, right? That's, that's always the first most basic message. You're not alone and you're loved. That's what we all want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that and, right there goes a long, long way. Exactly. And it sustains them through, I mean, I would say what is hard in some ways with uh, Western ears or maybe U.S.-centric um, mindset, especially the way charity is often done it sustains them through a really difficult first few months. They don't, they don't start out with relief like normal. You know, Zoe really flips the script with its emphasis on empowerment and, um, and its commitment to indigenous leadership that, like you said, Mark, uh, has a staff ratio of one staff person to a thousand. What more can you tell us about the young people and the staff who really make that model work sure. on the ground that way? Sure. And let me let me start with with the staff. And you mentioned it, but the, the staff are in country people. It is not U.S. folks um, parachuting in to to provide the answer. And so those in country people. They, they understand the culture, they understand the norms, they understand the challenges. And really part of the Zoe model is to not, to not impose Western US, here's the way it ought to be done kind of things into it. Certainly there's, there's governance and there's things that need to, need to make sure happen to keep the model um, pristine, if you will, because because that's important. But within that, then letting the country leaders do what they need to do to make it work, I think is part of what happens. I had the opportunity and the honor to go to Nairobi and meet the staff from all the all the various countries in Africa and, and the India leaders at a at a summit they were having. And I saw the talent, the passion, and the faith that these um, folks had, it was, it, it was palpable. It was moving. They, they certainly were all in, I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. So that's the staff. Now let me talk to you a little bit about the kids. And I've seen, seen the young folks in both Zimbabwe and Kenya. And I've seen hundreds of them, literally hundreds of them, pulling themselves and each other out of extreme poverty. And you know, if we had an unlimited amount of time, I could tell you story after story. <laughs> but let me do, tell you two stories that I think really are great examples of what 
uh, of how this works. And these are not cherry picked. They're, like I said, these, these are, there are stories like this throughout Zoe. The first is, and Rachel will know this because she was along on the, it was the Zimbabwe trip. So my first experience with Zoe. And we met a young woman named uh, Sukai. And Sukai was the head of a household of eight uh, younger folks, both brothers and sisters and cousins. Her mom and dad had passed away as well as her aunt and uncle. And so she was she was the head of household for eight. Plus, she was taking care of an elderly grandmother. And I saw her when she was in her third year of Zoe, about to graduate. She was someone that our church was sponsoring. So there had been others uh, from Tarrytown that had seen her in year one when she was just starting out within Zoe. But frankly, nothing. Uh, hungry, not able to feed her and her, and her siblings and others. Uh, sometimes a meal or two a week, which is not uncommon when you're in that first year to hear that story. She lived in a mud hut, no toilet, really, you know, just just beginning to pull herself out. Fast forward to year three when I met Sakai, uh, now a successful entrepreneur, several, several businesses, a big brick-making business, a chicken farmer, a gardener, providing three meals a day for herself and her charges, uh, paying for school for, the, for those siblings and cousins, living in a house with doors, window, furniture. She was 12 years old when she started. Wow. 15 when I met her. Um, one little aside, so she also had a little side business besides her three big businesses. She made pottery. And so we were there at her, at her uh, home slash business. And I'm looking at this pot and it's kind of the, the room we were in was dark, no, no electricity, of course. And so I said, Sakai, how much is this pot? And she said, $3. And I said, well, here, I'll give you $5 for it. I walked out into the light and I was looking a little more closely at the pot and I saw the price tag was $2. And so I figured she had give me, given me the American price. <laughs> Good business skills. <laughs> That's what I knew. That's what I knew that girl was going to make it. <laughs> it was great. One of my prized possessions. Um, I'll tell you one more story. So this was when uh, my son and I were in Kenya and we saw Zoe in action in Kenya. And on our way back from visiting the group that we were going to see, we stopped off at a business from a, a recent graduate. And I don't remember this young man's name. I'd say he was probably around 20 years old, maybe something like that. He'd been, a, he'd been, he had graduated the year before and he was a welder. He would, Zoe had trained him as a welder. Uh, and then as, again, as he progressed through Zoe, he bought a welding machine and began to go out on his own, uh, getting jobs. And then he, added an apprentice, another young vulnerable child uh, to his business. And then eventually he bought another welding machine and then rented that one out. So now he 
was both a welder and the head of rental business. But I didn't meet him at a job site somewhere. I met him at his restaurant. And so I'm sitting there and with the interpreter, because he didn't speak English. Uh, and I said, so how did you get into the restaurant business? And he said, well, you know, when my apprentice and I would come for jobs in this village, we never could find a decent place to have lunch. <laughs> and he said, I saw an, a building that was, you know, for lease. And so I decided I'm going to make, I'm going to become a restaurateur. Now, I don't know for sure, but I can bet big money that without Zoe, that young man would never have had the confidence and the ingenuity and the business acumen to make that work. Again, from nothing to three businesses, employing numerous people in that community between his welding business and his restaurant, beggars to bosses. Amen. Yeah, I I think of this, the Sakai story. I mean, I also have to say that there was some point in probably that day when it did occur to me that maybe you had come on the trip because you were skeptical and all of a sudden I had this like horror stricken thing, right? And I'm like, did I oversell it? Did I oversell it? What's he really thinking? And um, and you were like, no, it was not oversold. But I think of the bookends on that trip of Sakai who had um, really become, you know, a sort of a business mogul mm -hmm. at 15. Um, and then we ended that same day, which was our last day, um, with first year students mm -hmm. uh, in the program. And we had been at one house that seemed really hard and dire. The kids in that family had been identified by a third year Zoe group as needing the training. Um, and which is an amazing thing too, a way that it pays itself forward. Um, and as we were walking away from their house, somebody on our team said, I can't really imagine a sadder story. And then we got to Evidence's house. And Evidence was caring for a sister who had um, developmental disabilities and some mental health issues as well. He had a elderly grandmother who had dementia and he did have an uncle who had been able to help him, but had fallen on the job at work and became a quadriplegic. And so he was totally dependent on evidence. And we were listening to evidence's story and it was the first time because you know, Zoe does emphasize they're not handouts. There's no food given in the first few months. There's no, the kids are hungry at the beginning, um, just like Sakai had been hungry. And it was the first time that I was really tempted to completely ignore what they said and just hand him everything we had um, because his circumstances seemed so hard. And our staff person at the time um, with Zoe must have sensed this kind of feeling in the group. And she sort of touched my arm. And then she said to all of us, you need to know that when I met Sakai, this was the circumstance she was in. It was even worse than this. 
and it will get better. Um, you know, so we've got to go so that it can get better. You can't stay and give your stuff. That won't make it better. You've got to go on down the road and pretty soon you're going to come back and evidence is going to be in a completely different place in his life. And I carry kind of those two bookends for us that day. Um, And I think of him often as, you know, when I'm trying to understand resurrection life, like evidence um, is also evidence of resurrection. Um, That helps me imagine how we can help. Um, But it also reminds me that the walking away is part of what's important in what we do. The not fixing it with something that we think will fix it immediately, but doesn't fix it over the long term. Um, so I wonder, Mark, if you have anything else to add to that sense of entrepreneurship that comes out of Zoe and the as an empowerment tool, um, because I think that's part of what also makes it different from some other things you can see and support. Yes, uh, yes, it definitely does. And it, it is hard to walk away. Uh, but it also is part of the secret sauce that makes it work. And again, with just this little bit, I, I was amazed at these young people, as they would stand and tell you about their business or tell you about uh, what they were doing with the profits that they had made from this. I can tell you that the financial and business acumen of those young folks, they'd know more about the economics of running a business than most college graduates in the U.S. I can tell you that for sure. And just to watch that, watch someone recite with no notes or anything, well, I bought these little chickens for, you know, 12 cents a piece and I fed them for three months and that cost $1.82 and I sold them for $3. So I made a profit of X. And I took half of that profit and I reinvested it in this. It just. Yeah, I swear Sakai knew every transaction she had made in all of her businesses by heart. (laughs) It is it is truly remarkable. And it's just so fun to see that God given talent, whatever that God given talent is or was uh, just unleashed with that little bit of opportunity and then that confidence. I saw kids that would be successful, very successful entrepreneurs, Sakai being one of them in the U.S. Heck, she could, you know, be running a country someday <laughs> and CEOs, you know, CEO material. It was just really fun to watch. And the businesses these kids have, it's it's a myriad of businesses. It's anything from the convenience store, a lot of agricultural businesses, especially in the rural areas. They want the first business they have, you, you want them to pick a business that begins to generate income fairly quickly because they're hungry. They need to they need to make money to put food on the table. Uh, but then as they begin to expand and, and they do different stuff, you know, there's seamstress, carpentry, a taxi service. And this is where that ingenuity part comes in. They really are good at coming up with a business plan, looking at the community they're living in. What is the opportunity? What's the competition? How do I, you know, how do I work my way into how do I become unique? Like your example of having mm-hmm. the television set in the convenience store. And that's that training uh, that, that Zoe provides to allow them again to flourish. 
and, and it's pretty it's pretty fun to watch. It is. I go ahead. I was gonna say I love how the model is self fulfilling in that way of entrepreneuring and of you know that just courage and confidence and all of those things because it does seem so much like you know you could I could see someone saying like you know we're gonna go in and teach kids how to grow corn you know whatever um but like you can only teach so many kids to do that or you can only do that so much in one community and it's not going to work in other parts of the world and it's you know it's so often our solutions are so single you know visioned and i love i love the way that it allows kids to do different things but also then teaches them to do that in their own lives Mm -hmm. it's just yeah i mean that's really what we call asset-based development (laughs) And I feel like we've sort of had to learn our way into that, especially in the U.S., um, in a way that Zoe is really fulfilling that on the ground all the time. I think of the very first family I met had 12 kids in it, and the first five or six oldest kids were girls, and they were all teenagers, and they were young, and they were beautiful, and they kind of knew it. And when they did their asset plan, they must have decided, you know, we're kind of young and beautiful. And they had a used clothing business, but they would go door to door modeling the used clothes. (laughs) And they were like raking it in because people were like, oh, that's fashionable. I want to look like that. And um, so yeah, there's plenty of ingenuity um, all the way around. That said, I'm thinking about, you know, we're talking so much locally about local businesses and small businesses being particularly vulnerable during the COVID-19 pandemic. I wonder, Mark, can you tell us anything about how Zoe is weathering the pandemic, given that the kids are in different parts of Africa and in India? Um, you know, what, what's happening on the ground for them right now? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a difficult time, just like it is uh, all across the world for everybody. And all countries have have or have had some sort of stay at home orders, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, India being the most stringent, Tanzania probably being the least. But so you're they're unable to gather in those large groups I talked about, you know, like and so they've come up with a plan instead where the the staff folks will try to try to gather in smaller groups of five or so heads of household at a time so that they can still do a check-in uh disseminate any information that needs to happen and really stay connected and then those five heads of households can go and take it to the to the rest of their siblings etc there is some technology for for a lot of these kids whatsapp which is a big thing especially in outside the U.S. where essentially a texting and uh, to be able to check in on them. So that's how they're trying to stay connected. Uh, if I think about how the kids are doing with their businesses, et cetera, I think the second and third years are in pretty decent shape. It certainly hurts, but again, they're more resilient like we've been talking about. Uh, examples of you know the seamstress, comp- seamstress businesses, well, wait a minute, we need to make masks. So then they're making masks and selling those masks. And again, for, for people that have so little, they are so generous. Um, so those masks 
Well, if you can't afford one, I'll just give you one. Um, or if you're an essential worker, here you mm. go, have a mask. And mm. you see that a lot. So that's the second and third years. I, I would admit, and, and it's, it's the first years are struggling because as we've talked about there, you know, there's not a lot of handout, there's no handout or whatever. And so they're just beginning to get started and on fairly tenuous ground and then COVID hits. So Zoe is, is currently raising money for, to, to provide $30 or $50 micro grants for, for them to restart their businesses when, when the time is right, because they, many of them would probably have failed. Just like if you were starting up a restaurant in Austin, you know, a month before sure. COVID hit, you're probably not, not doing too go well. well. Um, yeah. And then they, they continue to lead in their communities with disseminating information. The, those kids, you know, making sure everybody knows about social distancing, hand washing, helping establish hand washing stations, that simple stuff, the, the servant, uh, servants to their community, which is, again, pretty incredible to watch. Thank you. Zoe's model starts with a dream, as we've been saying, and I wonder if you would tell us a little bit as chair of the board of Zoe Empowers, but also as a member of a faith community that's constantly looking to figure out how we can invest ourselves more deeply. Um, what do you dream about when you think of Zoe? Yeah, we talk about this a lot as a board. And, you know, literally there are, are millions of vulnerable children in the world. And Zoe, Zoe has a proven successful model. Currently, there's about 58,000 children in the Zoe program, either in years one, two, or three and another roughly 70,000 that have graduated from the program. So about 125,000 people that have been, children that have been impacted by Zoe. That's a lot of people, 125,000 is a lot of young lives that have been, that have benefited, but it's not millions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what Zoe is looking to is how can we expand to reach more and more and more. And that's what the board thinks about a lot. That's what I think about a lot with the CEO, Gaston Warner. We talk about it all the time. We have other ideas of how we can perhaps private label this program. Okay. You can't, the model works because the model works. And so you have to be careful not to um, modify the model. Okay. But are there other ways to get that model in, in to impact more children. We're always looking to try to, to do that. Thank you. With that in mind, how can we help? What can we do? Yep. Well, I would ask anybody listening to this, first off, to get involved. Uh, the website, zoeempowers.org, can give you more information or follow them on social media. Spread the word advocate. Um, it is an incredible thing to talk about. And then give generously. There's nothing uh, that has bigger bang for the buck, I think, than, than Zoe. Zoe has a, a, um, a Bible verse that they often 
I guess it's maybe their theme Bible verse, if you if you want to call it that. And it's Jeremiah, uh, verse 29, uh, I mean, chapter 29, verse 11. And it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So for eight bucks a month, we at Terrytown or anyone can give hope to a child who who right who right now feels hopeless. Mm. Zoe works. I've seen it. I'd Thanks. ask you to, to be the hands of God and contribute to the cause. There's a lot more work to do. And because I'm a competitive guy, I do know there's a church in uh, another Texas town, Mansfield, that currently has 14 groups that they're currently responding. 14 active groups, right? 14 active groups. And I think we have, what, Rachel, six or seven, something like that? We have seven active groups right now. Um but I'm a competitive, I may not be a numbers person, but I can figure that out and I'm competitive too. So we got work to do. Yes, we do. Yeah. You know, and I, I think one of the things, again, as you said, at $8 a month, there are very few of us who aren't able to participate in this kind of transformational work. But I want to thank you, Mark, for your time and not just now, this hour, but I want to thank you for, um, I guess, being skeptical enough to try, <laughs> being challenged by that, being um, one of the people who goes and sees and tells the story so that those who don't see firsthand can believe. Um, because as you say, we know you and I in particular have had that extraordinary privilege to know that firsthand that Zoe works and it brings about the kind of abundant life that the gospels talk about. We call our podcast liturgy for life and the word liturgy literally means the work of the people. Um, I think you have been doing the work of the people in your work with Zoe. So thank you for that. And thank you for challenging us to do the work of the people along with you for Zoe. Well, and thank you for introducing me to um, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It was a pleasure. (laughs) Especially because I wasn't, (laughs) I didn't know how skeptical you were. Well, thank you both. I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness, and I also can't wait to go on a Zoe trip one day and see for myself. Um, So I don't feel like a skeptic at this point. (laughs) But um, thank you both for all the work y'all have done in this ministry. It is amazing. Um, So until next week, go in peace.